So cool, we're back. And this past weekend was your birthday. How was it? Oh, it was great. You were there for most of it. And you know what, Zach? Yes. That's that's what made it great. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Did were there any highlights, any great gifts that you got from I don't know your best friend from college? <laughs> Well, Ashley put together a great weekend for all she of did. us. So she we did a great job. so we did laser tag and ate good food, and I got soccer themed gifts. But then you didn't mm. really follow that the theme. You got I didn't me know a, they were going with a theme. Yeah, I didn't know. I, you got me a Giannis statue or action <laughs> figure, which is really cool. And it's right here on my desk, actually. Uh, oh, good. I I didn't see it in your background. That's kind of why I brought it up. Oh and I yeah, was just I should like, put it back there. Yeah, you got to put it up there sometime. I just want um, him staring right at me, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's him going to dunk on it. And every time yeah. you go to work, every time you go to record a podcast, I want you to picture you dunking on that or objective. I, I don't know. I think I'm just like in fear that Giannis is going to dunk on me at any moment. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Colin Zach in the Morning. We are on episode 25, which is it's crazy that, that we've been doing this for 25 weeks, 25 episodes, 25 weeks. Ugh, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, Cole, you said we did laser tag and I don't want to breeze over that too quickly because it sounds like we did this like little kid's birthday party thing, but this was like legit laser tag with like these big metal, like AK things. And then we had like a headband on and a chest like plate on. It was intense. Yeah. I mean... To be clear, I think we were there for a, a little kid's birthday. Yeah, there were a bunch <laughs> of little were. kids running around next to us. <laughs> but there were also adults. And yeah, it, it was really yes. cool. It was the most intense laser tag I've ever done. I thought it was awesome. I don't know if you know this, but after, like, so we had, we also had our friend whose also name is Zach and his wife, mm-hmm. Melissa. They joined Ashley, Jackie, you and I. Mm-hmm. And the three girls were on one team and we we're on the other team. And apparently there was a guy on our team that looked similar to me. Mm-hmm. And so Jackie was like flirting with this like guy <laughs> where she'd be like, ha ha, I got you. When she would like shoot him and stuff like that. And apparently he'd like walk away and like it was dark in there. So Jackie didn't necessarily know kind of what like yeah, who was, who? was like, it was far. Cause he's like 10, 15 feet away. And then She's like, afterwards, he was the one that took our picture, the group picture at the end. And she went, oh, my word. I was like totally playfully flirting with the wrong person the entire time. And that's when laser tag became sad for me. Well, I had a great weekend. And it was my birthday. So, you know. (laughs) Well, I had a great time. And I thought Ashley (laughs) did kill it. I thought it was so good. Mm -hmm. It was so much fun to be together. It was fun to see Zach and Melissa. Uh, I hope you felt special for that weekend. You deserve it. Have you heard about the planes that the door the doors are coming off? Yes, I did. Was it multiple planes or just one? It was just one, but they okay. found loose bolts on doors of yes. other planes. Yeah. Yeah, that was like it was an Alaskan Airlines flight where mm-hmm. the door came off. And apparently a kid was sitting, I think, next to the wasn't the kid sitting next to that I window? I think the seat was empty right next to the window. Oh, okay. But okay. there was a kid but nearby. In the middle yeah. seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I saw, I think it was United Airlines who had like the, found the loose bolts in the planes, mm-hmm. which as someone who grew up with a mom who works for American airlines, this is just a, a sponsorship opportunity. <laughs> yeah. American hit us up your doors and seem to be bolted on. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the minimum requirement for an airline. <laughs> I think, right? Like the doors if need I, to stay yeah. on the plane. <laughs> yeah. If I'm getting on a plane and going 30,000 feet in the air, I would like to be still in the plane while up there. 
Like that's yeah. literally my only requirement. You could take the peanuts away. You could take the food, like the beverage mm. service, all that stuff. I just want to stay in the plane at 30,000 feet. Thank you very much. Well, I don't know if you saw this or not, but there was a phone that fell out of the plane when the door blew off. Really? Yeah. And they found this phone on the ground and were able to get it back to the owner. And it's an iPhone. It was on. Like a couple days after yeah. somebody finds the phone and it still works and it's open to like a baggage claim from the no. the actual flight, which is just was crazy. Was like the screen shattered? Like No, it's not shattered. What? I know. And so this is a marketing opportunity for Apple, but also- I dropped my phone six feet <laughs> and that thing like cracks open. You're telling me 30,000 feet in the air. Mm -hmm. this phone, no damage whatsoever. I mean, maybe it landed on like a trampoline <laughs> and then just bounced back off. <laughs> it went back close to the plane, but didn't yeah, make it. And exactly. then it came back down. Yeah. So was the flight not going to Alaska then? Like, wouldn't you fly over water at that point? I don't know. I have no clue. Honestly, for talking about this on the podcast, I probably should have done a little bit more research. I oh. just know that somebody found a phone that was on the plane and that's crazy. But also, I want to know if they picked up the phone and immediately yeah. thought, this must have been from an airplane. <laughs> like, wh when did they come to that realization? <laughs> I mean, if it was on the baggage claim thing, I'm just trying to picture, my, picture myself walking outside of my home. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I'm taking Cooper out to use a restroom. And I just see in my backyard this, like, little phone, like, this phone on the ground. And if it's opened up to a baggage claim app, I don't check my airline apps anytime outside of the airport ever. I feel like the sad part of the story is I'm guessing they would have gotten a new phone before they found out that their old phone was mm. safe. Yeah. Maybe they like got to the ground, hugged their family and went straight to the Apple store. <laughs> That's what I would do. Like, can you imagine <laughs> having to go, what, a couple days without a phone? So cool. One of the things that you and I have in common, other than being incredible, young, handsome men whose salvation is secure in the Lord, is that we both work for universities. Uh, and you sent me an article today about um, kind of a new trend amongst private Christian schools, which is where I work. You work at, you also work at a private Christian school, right? Mm -hmm. A Jesuit yep. university, mm -hmm. Marquette. Yours is definitely a lot larger than mine is, that's for sure. Uh, but I would love for us to have this conversation with the article you sent. Can you give us a brief breakdown of the article you read? Yeah. And, you know, I think you might have more to speak into this because this is something that Olivet, the school that you're at, is actually doing. Yeah. But the article here says that a number of schools are trying various methods of not charging tuition, born out of their convictions about debt and hopes for students to choose a Christian education. I knew that Olivet had started doing something like this, and I was surprised to see that, you know, it's not an isolated incident, but this is something broader that a lot of smaller Christian schools are doing, offering students free tuition, which mm -hmm. is crazy. Yeah. All they have to pay is room and board. Yeah. And somehow they can keep the school open. So this article is from Christianity Today. Um, I think we'll, can we add the link in the show notes? It's, yeah. um, the title is Christian College is trying to eliminate, try eliminating tuition to draw students. And I think one of the things I have found is Christian universities, one of the obstacles that they tend to face is they are first and foremost an academic institution. Mm -hmm. We are here to provide an education. We are here to especially in roles like mine, to help students along the process of uh, receiving an education, uh, whether it be all the social and spiritual and personal things that they they, they go through during that time. 
so we do really truly do try to engage in a holistic learning experience. It's not just purely academic. Part of the reason to attend a university in person is to be able to have opportunities to grow outside of just the academic side. If you want to learn in just the academic side of things, you can attend classes online and, and there's many institutions that do that. But what private Christian schools tend to run into is we are an academic institution that also has a faith-driven purpose and has this deep-seated mission to do kingdom work on campus and sometimes even off campus as well. And we've talked in the past a little bit about like the mission trips that like these universities tend to offer, opportunities to serve. And what I really found interesting within this article is part of the motivation to get students to their school tuition-free is to allow them to experience that kingdom work without any of the financial hurdles that naturally occur when, I mean, the sticker price of some of these schools are forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 per year. Mm-hmm. And you have these 17, 18-year-olds signing up for that and not necessarily understanding the gravity of that decision. And I know that's something you and I have done. And I think the, you know, the, the logical reasoning behind this is that the university – a lot of smaller schools, they run at a pretty fixed cost. They're like, they have mm-hmm. to pay to keep the buildings open. And if mm-hmm. they can get students in that are willing to yeah. pay room and board to keep the buildings yeah. open, then the university can continue to function. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Free tuition models where students just pay for room and board forget that the non-fixed costs involve faculty and other student support staff that scale with the number of students. Yeah. And so if you're going to add, like I think we saw in this article that um, some schools have added like 600 new students, hmm. you are either increasing yeah. class sizes, which right. dilutes the faculty to student ratio. Yeah. Or you have to reach into some other pot to pull money to hire new faculty. Yeah. No, Cole, that's definitely a, a good point. And what I've noticed and what my experience has been is all of that is not paying professors as much as they're paying, like like as much as like the University of Illinois is or Ohio State is or these big schools. And so the faculty and staff tend to work with the same conviction as well of, yes, we want to provide a good academic product. But we also really want to provide the the opportunity to mentor and shape students outside of the academic sphere. And that's what I've noticed. Like, I mean, you and I could name a bunch of professors who could definitely be working at some really great institutions, not saying that we're not one, but really high level institutions like academic institutions, like research institutions. But they are taking that pay cut to potentially be a part of a community where they can start to shape a kingdom mindset within their students. So when you have these schools who are not taking as much profit per student in order to get more students in, that you start to kind of ask a little bit more of your faculty and staff. And I think that's a good pushback. I think it's a fair pushback. The other pushback tends to be that students don't have any skin in the game. And that's kind of what Mm -hmm. one of the university presidents quotes in the article is a skin in the game where they have nothing to lose since they're doing it for free, which, and like we said, all of that's kind of, we're, we're experimenting where somewhere group of incoming freshmen, a large group of incoming freshmen will be receiving, will not be paying for tuition. I am in the boat a little bit that usually with these programs, you have to have certain GPA requirements. Sometimes you have to have like a, a service requirement where you have to be involved with a club or a different ministry program or any of those things in order to keep that, to be, Mm -hmm. still be in the program. 
And I think that incentivizes students to take advantage of this opportunity. A lot of universities tend to make most of their money within the room and board cost. Mm -hmm. And so I know with the university I'm at, like they're still, and the article points this out too with some of their universities, they're still receiving Pell Grants or different um, government aid for those students. And then the university will just discount or make up for whatever's left within the tuition. And so there's still some income and revenue coming in. It's just not as much. But that's all on the fiscal side of things, which I got to be real honest, I don't know a ton about. But when it comes to the ministry side of things, I am excited to have more of an opportunity. I know some of the staff I work with to have more of an opportunity to connect with and start to engage in those kingdom conversations and start to be the light of Christ to people that maybe never would have not had an opportunity to attend here in the first place. And I had, I had a conversation with a family from my home church back in Las Vegas. Who's like, this is an opportunity we can't pass up. Like, and they're going to be able to experience some great things because of this. And I love the opportunity that that provides. I really hope it works. I mean, it would be amazing if we could break this cycle of students graduating and being burdened by excess debt because they mm-hmm. chose to go to a Christian school. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these bigger, like well-known universities, they have large endowments that help cut the cost for students. Yeah. And so these private Christian schools, sometimes, I mean, we don't have those endowments, but I mean, as this article points out, these programs are really driven by donors. And mm-hmm. what they're hoping is, is that as there are graduating students who are debt-free, that there will be more of a draw and desire to give back once they've graduated. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty uncertain. Like, I, Yeah, $5 a thing, month. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're wagering the future of the university yeah. on the generosity of your graduates, which mm-hmm. is a big gamble. And it's a gamble that impacts not just you know, the fiscal bottom line of the university, but all the people that the university employs, you know? I'd venture to say that most private Christian schools right now are already highly dependent on donors to -hmm. keep their doors open. Oh, yeah, Like a lot of them, I know all of that's budget is really dependent on donor relations and and alumni giving back. So I think it, it definitely increases this a little bit more, but... What also encourages donations is seeing good fruit coming out of the university. And when you were able to say, oh, we increased our freshman class by two or 300, we're able to um, engage in gospel-driven work with more students, that excites more people. Well, let's do a hypothetical here. Let's say, so so you're a resident director, which means you oversee a certain number of students that live in the dorms, right? Mm -hmm. How many students live in Hills? And Hills Hall, we have around 140, 150 now, but max capacity, which is I think where we'll be next year with this program is 180. So how does that change your ministry to those students being at 130 to 180? I mean, it's definitely going to require more and, and there's a lot, some administrative work that will definitely be, I mean, I have 30 more students, potentially 30 to 50 more students who will be emailing me and asking me mm-hmm. questions. And so there's definitely an opportunity for the quality to go down a little bit. But in the same sense, having a full dorm is exciting. And I know for like the resident assistants, which I get to hire, lead, train and lead, to care for those students who are more engaged with their peers. The ones that have the the more people on their floor, that community tends to thrive a little bit more. That's been my Mm. experience. The floors that have less residents 
tend to be a little bit more secluded and the community or the like the residential life ministry tends to be a little bit more one-on-one rather than whole floor based mm-hmm. when you have a bigger floor then there tends to be more floor events and kind of some excitement in there so i'm excited to kind of see how that goes i definitely i mean on my side of things i'm like let's get some more dollars in our department you know to like help with that like i'm hoping that that becomes a possibility mm-hmm. however i will say some of my budgets like for events are based on how many students i have in my building so hopefully that will go up with that so I can still provide that same level of intentionality and care um, and experience for mm-hmm. for those students. But seeing fuller classrooms, fuller programs, our weekly chapel services, having that space be full, I can only see that being more encouraging. And again, part of this article is there is a mission behind this And part of the mission is we are going to give an opportunity to some students to attend a four-year college to come in contact with teaching uh, and relationships that model the the living God that weren't going to have that before. That is an exciting thing and a a beautiful thing. And I think, if anything, the university is like, we're going to remove a barrier, a big barrier, financial barrier, to allow students to have an opportunity to, again, engage in Christ, to engage in Christ-like work, uh, to engage with Christ-like believers around them. And so all of that just kind of gets me pumped. There's a quote in this article that I like that I think really sums this up. So this is the president of Hope University, which is a Christian school in Holland. Yeah, sorry, Hope College. That's in Holland, Michigan. Um, Mm -hmm. So not that far from either of us. Um, And he says that Hope can offer free tuition in a pilot program because the the school is in a position of strength of enrollment and budget. This is what he says next. God says this to Abraham. He blesses people to be a blessing. We're charging students an extraordinary amount of money at the poorest point of their life. Mm -hmm. Jesus creates this crazy upside down economy where he says it's the poor and the lowly and the meek who are actually the closest to God. And so we think Christians ought to be the ones pushing hardest on access to education. And I think that's a great point that like we should be at the forefront of bringing access to education to mm-hmm. the poor, the lowly, the meek, those that are traditionally excluded from the classic mm-hmm. four-year university system. Mm-hmm. I have no qualms at all with the mission of offering free tuition. And I think it's a beautiful thing that universities are yeah. willing to kind of challenge the status quo and think outside the box and start to break down some of those barriers that we've seen pile up over the past mm-hmm. decades of student debt, now mm-hmm. the most common type of debt for an American to hold. I hope it pays off. I'm skeptical that it will dilute the education and dilute the mm-hmm. ministry of those yeah. at the universities. But, you know, I will say the pushback, this kind of tends to fall in a little bit of a line of uh, free college uh, which I know is is mm. a political talking point for a party, um, as well as debt relief, uh, mm-hmm. soon loan debt relief, which is another uh, political talking point. Um, the pushback tends to be, well, I paid, you should too. Unfortunately, I think people who make those comments, as fair as they are, aren't necessarily fully uh, informed on how expensive college is now. Mm-hmm. Where I was talking with my father-in-law uh, a couple months ago, actually, about it. Um, he, we were talking about his education experience and him and I went to the, like, he went to the same school. He's an alum of Olivet 
And of course, tuition's like five thousand tuition, room and board are like five thousand a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you know, there's inflation, like figuring that out. But he was able to, if he worked all summer in in the factory that he worked at, then he would be able to pay off his whole school bill. And unfortunately, that's just not the case anymore. Even with scholarships and uh, whether it be academic or um, ones provided from the school based on denominational background or any of those things, it's still like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year. And as a college student with no degree, you're not making twenty grand over the summer. And so you yeah. have to take out a private loan, which then has like an eight percent interest rate. Which again, you're trying to complete a degree, you don't really know fully what that means, and that is so hard to pay back. And when you're starting to pay back these loans, once you graduate, then you recognize, well, I, that's where all my, a lot of my income is coming. And so unfortunately trying to get a house or buy a condo or an apartment or stuff like that, that becomes so much more difficult because so much of your monthly bill is used to pay off what you already committed yourself to. And the reason that you have your job in the first place is because the degree you just got. And you're paying back these bills. And I mean, both of us are in this situation now at the point of your life where you're making the least amount of money Yeah. right after you graduate. Then we get incentives that push people towards high paying jobs that are maybe Mm -hmm. misaligned from the -hmm. mission that they feel like they have with their life or their calling simply because they have a crazy loan to pay back, which is why, I mean, I think these are the reasons that Christian universities are looking for a solution to lower yeah. tuition, even and offering free the, tuition. And I think we, as as Christians living in society today, I think we can be in support of these programs that do give benefits and aid and help to those who are either currently in less fortunate circumstances or are on their way to or seeking a degree that they feel called and passionate about, but it's probably going to lead to a lesser fortunate circumstance as well. We're called to be stewards of what we've been given. And so these Christian universities, if they can offer free tuition while maintaining financial stewardship and protecting the faculty, the support staff, the resident directors, the chaplains, all of those people that engage with the students and their mission Mm -hmm. is the students – Mm-hmm. then I think that this is a wonderful thing. And I look yeah. forward to seeing how this transforms Olivet yeah. and the campus of so many other Christian colleges. On the other hand, if this is done without financial stewardship, and this mm-hmm. is done in a way that sacrifices the future of a university to accommodate mm-hmm. a here and now issue, yeah. then I think that you know it's blatantly wrong. And yeah. where that line is, is blurry. And I don't know if we'll know yeah right now. And so, yeah, I mean, I, su- I support these colleges and trying something yeah. new and I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess, is yeah. where I land on this. Well, I find that there are three parties I need to trust. One, I need to trust the men and women who are smarter than me, who are probably making a little bit more than me, who are making these decisions. Mm-hmm. And I, I trust and hope that they are doing what is right. Two, I also want to trust the people who are contemplating how to be good stewards of their resources. Mm-hmm. That um, maybe they've been given and been blessed as Abraham was, as, as the Hope College president points out, and it's their time to now start to give as well uh, to pave the way for others. I mean, I was having a conversation with someone literally a couple weeks ago who was giving me an opportunity that his mentor gave to him and was just like, hey, someone opened this door for me. I want to open this door for you now. And he found that as 
being a good steward of the opportunities of that and that he's been blessed with. So he's like, I was blessed by this and now you get to be best blessed by this. And what was heavily implied was you need to discern when it's your opportunity, when it's your opportune time to be a blessing to the next person. That's the second group. And then the third group is a group is probably weird. I could say Trinity, but um, I, I really pray that the Holy spirit is, is giving guidance to the people making these decisions and to all and the two prior groups that, mm-hmm. that there will be, hopefully maybe even loaves and fishes moments when it comes to uh, follow faithful followers who are trying to be good stewards, but also trying to be good stewards of the calling and convictions that they have. And so we see time and time again in scripture where people have stepped out in faith, where the economics do not add up, where the numbers do not add up and God blesses the obedience. So I'm hoping that with the people who are making these decisions and the people who are giving that God is is blessing those obedient moments, um, and again, I know we have to sometimes be a little bit smarter. Like I don't, the twenty dollar bill in my pocket might just not grow to forty dollars just because I prayed for it. <laughs> but at the same time, like I don't want to put the the mystery of the Holy Spirit, as Paul would say, in in a box when we are being obedient to what we are being called to do. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us this week on Colin Zek in the Morning. Again, episode 25, thank you for being here for the past 25 weeks or 20 or 15 or however long you've been here. One thing that you could do if you have a second to help us out is to go on your podcast app, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever else you're using, and leave us a review. That's one way that other people can find our podcast, Mm -hmm. um, and it's one way that, that you can share your thoughts with us. If you have other thoughts that you'd like to directly communicate, you can also find us on our website, colonzackinthemorning.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if we don't hear from you, have a great week. See you, everyone.